This is the Blackout Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Blackout Podcast where I get to talk to amazing people doing amazing things and today I have Andrea Sang Jackson from Ted Eye Story Workshop. Third Story Workshop. Third Story Workshop. Mm-hmm. Ted Eye, I don't Third Story Workshop. Thanks for coming to the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Um, tell me a little bit more about yourself. Sure. Um, my name is Andrea. Uh, and I started making textile works uh, about three and a half years ago. Um, before that, I was uh, I studied architecture. I worked in architecture and design for um, a while in very a lot of different capacities. Mm. Um, but I was in that world uh, for most of my professional life. Um, and then when I had children, uh, I started. I was at, at home for a little bit, and I needed to create essentially. So I started, um, I made a quilts, quilts for each of my two babies. Um, and then once they were a bit older, I started to delve into it a little bit more and be a little bit more serious about it. Um, and, um, you know, what started as a creative outlet has become, uh, my work and my business and yeah. And third story workshop. Yeah. Third story workshop. So, um, I, when I was launched quickly into this world as a business, which was because I was accepted to the Halifax Crafters uh, Society Spring Show in 2016, um, I was like, "Oh, I need a business name. I don't, I don't have a business name to apply with." Um, and my, uh, in two of the houses that I lived in, I, I worked in the attic, which was a third story mm. of my home. Um, and uh, this space, they were small and squishy, but they were kind of my own little haven that I could and sanctuary that I could kind of escape to. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, people were like, Oh, a third story workshop that, you know, it refers to the attic, but it also refers to kind of my third baby, the third story that I kind of produced. Mm. Um, so, or I'm in the process of producing. So, um, that's kind of where that name comes from. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it didn't really, um, it's kind of a, a general name. It doesn't refer to textiles or anything specific, um, but definitely sounds uh, like a creative place, mm. a third story workshop. And I wanted it to be broad enough that it could encompass a lot of my um, design interests and um, creative interests. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember having the discussion with you and you told me that to be an architect is like years and years of work. Oh, right? yeah, totally. So, yeah. yeah. Do you want to remind me? Because I know it was like, it was almost like as long as it takes to be a doctor, really. Yeah. So it is a professional, um, it's a profession. So like a lawyer or a doctor, there's um, serious training that needs to go into uh, being an architect before you get to be a licensed architect. So um, traditionally, the, the route is you take do a, a bachelor's and then you, you do a master's in architecture. And then you write a series of hellish exams, uh, sometimes up to 10 exams. Uh, actually, and that, you know, before you get to those exams, you actually have to work for 5,600 hours, which is roughly three years <laughs> as an intern. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it's not totally you know like a doctor or a lawyer you got to do those things um you know there's a lot at stake when you're an architect there's safety there's life there's a lot of money you Mm. know building a a public building can be it would be millions of dollars Mm. um so you know as a profession it's very regulated and um 
and yeah, it's a serious process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, I never went that licensing route. I think when I did my master's, I knew that I wasn't going to be an architect. There was a lot of things I loved about architecture and the, the education that I received as mm -hmm. an architecture student. Um, as a woman, it was difficult at the time. It was, let's say 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, it's changing now, but um, I knew that the life that I saw women have in that profession at the time was not appealing to me necessarily. Mm. Yeah. What, what kind of things did you see? Um, well, like a lot of, uh, of, of professions, it was just a, it was a lot of stress. Um, a lot of dedication, um, which, you know, is true of a lot of jobs, but, um, it's a man's world in, you know, construction, working with a lot of men, mm. uh, as an architect and being the authority over, uh, this uh, group of, of men working for you is, can be tricky mm. and balancing that with what I knew I wanted for a family, um, would be tricky. So I had to choose kind of a path of my own. I knew that design, um, and architecture were, uh, very important to me and would always be important to me for professionally speaking. Mm. Um, but I, I knew that um, I wouldn't necessarily be an architect proper. Mm. Uh, I did do an education degree after that, a master's in education, because I knew the value of having um, design a design education, which really for me informed the way I look at the world, uh, the way I see uh, my role in the world as an agent of change. Um, being able to create essentially anything that I could imagine um, was essential, was kind of a, the essence of my, my schooling. Mm. Um, you know, an architect can dream up anything. And, you know, if we're given the enough time, resources, um, and will, you can pretty much make anything. Mm. Um, and so, you know, that I think was really important to me to understand how people learn um, through design education, whether that's a child or an adult. Um, and it really informs what I do today, actually. Mm. Mm -hmm. Were there people in architecture that you saw that made you aspire to want to be like them? or what In did architecture? You, yeah. Um, it seems like, a, like, you know, worlds away, like, so long ago yeah. um but i see people now um i can't give you names right at, right off the top of my head but I, I think the ability to make your own way is so is so important and i think a lot of women in architecture have done so and also have supported each other and also had the support of their um firms or offices mm. uh, really promoting women as leaders in the industry um has been really uh kind of inspirational for me, but also to, to say, like, I think part of being a feminist is like, well, being, being, um, able to make choices and, you know, having those choices available to every woman, mm. um, but to choose the way that they want to structure their life around their work or structure their work, their life around their work or have them exist in different ways, uh, in combination. So, um, it has changed and I'm encouraged to see that change mm. and want to kind of propel that change forward uh, in what I do now. Sweet. And what do you do now? Okay. So now <laughs> it's also really hard to explain. I <laughs> am um, a textile designer. I would say I'm a quilt maker, a quilt designer, an artist, um, a teacher, an author now. And um, yeah, so there's lots of different facets of what I do. Mm. So at these, I guess at the heart of it, I make quilts. Um, and, um, you know, they are modern quilts. There's a specific strain of quilting that I am a part of, and it's the modern quilting movement. Mm. Um, 
and it is a lot of women, mostly women. There are men as well, but um, that that um, actually we have an international guild uh, that runs conferences and education and um, wow. competitions and competitions. challenges. Yeah. Yeah, well, well, well ex exhibits. So oh, yeah, okay, okay. exhibits that you know are are juried, and then you know there are judges that that award winners and things like that. Yeah, and I remember you telling me like Cult has this particular mm -hmm. set of uh you know requirements it has to meet before it can be called a quilt. What, what, yeah. So what's a quilt exactly? Yeah. So the most strict uh kind of definition of a quilt is that it's a layered. Um, it's got three layers to it. So it's a, we would call it maybe a sandwich, but it's got a, a top layer, a middle batting layer, and then a backing layer. Mm. Um, and then they're stitched together and that makes it a quilt. So a blanket, so you can dif differentiate a blanket from a quilt. If it doesn't have those three layers, then you would, you could legitimately call it a blanket. And if it does have those three layers, then you would call it a quilt. Okay. Yeah. And so often people think of the top, the top layer as pieced together, like tiny pieces of fabric that are stitched together, um, which is, uh, yes, one of the ways that quilting is expressed. Mm. Um, but also there's whole cloth quilts where there's, it's just one piece of fabric on the top and one piece of fabric on the bottom. And the stitching lines that hold the batting the and the top and the middle and the bottom layer uh, together, mm. the quilting design is what makes it a quilt because oh. those three sandwiches three layer sandwich together yeah, yeah 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 um and so you uh, you said you made what did you make the first time you made your quilt was when you had your your first child mm -hmm. so that was uh, in 2011 um and i knew that i wanted to apply some of the graphic design skills that i did have from my um my work um to making something special for this new baby i didn't know if it was going to be a boy or a girl um and i just kind of did a bit of research, a little bit of research, not a lot. Um, mm. But I knew I wanted some, a gray color, a yellow and an orange color. Um, and those um, back then, even just eight years ago, were quote unquote modern colors. Mm. Um, a lot of quilts we think about or th um, imagine in our heads um, when somebody says, I make quilts, um, you know, there's a lot of beige and dark reds and dark blues and um, things like that. Um, but I like brighter I, I like using brighter colors, um, and I wanted to to have a gender neutral baby quilt for my first baby, uh, and that was the first one. It looked actually very traditional. It had um, what we imagined, like a grid kind of layout. There was twelve blocks that were this pretty similar, except for one, mm. um, and um, had um, borders between each block. Um, and then borders around the whole thing. And that's a very traditional way to approach quilts. Mm. Um, the second one I made for my second baby um, was a lot uh, less traditional. Actually, I brought it. I forgot to set it up. But, uh, <laughs> but we can do a B-roll of that. Yeah. Um, so you might want to cut that part out and, and work around that. But um, it was uh, it was made with all solid colored fabrics. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I'll, I'll start that part again. Um, so the second quilt I made was for uh, my second baby. I thought it was going to be my last quilt. Um, but what I discovered were all of these solid fabrics. And I made one modeled after a digital artwork by uh, Andy Gilmore. Um, and he does a lot of digital work. Oh, and so, I'm thinking of Andy Fillmore, sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Rhymes with Andy Fillmore, but it's Andy Gilmore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so it was all these little triangles um, 
and they were in this massive grid and there's probably hundreds of colors in there mm. and i was like oh this was we're making an awesome quilt you'd make an awesome quilt so um i was like i'll make one for my second baby uh it's gonna be you know i've had to kind of bounce around between what was available um at the fabric shop and then what i um you know um what i saw on the computer so i layered it all in adobe illustrator and then it ended up being over 2,000 triangles in 25 different colors. So it took me uh, 22 months to make. Yeah. <laughs> so by the time the baby quilt was done, I had a toddler. Right? So, <laughs> he was 15 months old. But, you know, such is life with a toddler and a baby. And, yeah. you know, um, so, uh, yeah, so that really redefined what, how I looked at what I was doing. Mm. Uh, and then I then, you know, after... After doing that, I was like a couple years of, you know, still having these little little humans at home. Mm. Um, uh, you know, I was going to have uh, my younger, the youngest was going to be going to preschool. So um, I was going to have a bit more time. I wasn't ready to go back into the working world mm. um, proper, I guess, like in the nine to five sense. Yeah. Uh, so, but I knew I was going to have a bit more time uh, and I love working. <laughs> so... Um, my husband suggested, you know, like you kind of like this quilting thing. You've only I had only made four at that by that point, mm. um, but you know, designing patterns for quilters is not so different than what an architect does. So an architect draws drawings, writes instructions for somebody else to go and build something, and so this is what a quilt pattern designer does as well, mm. just on a smaller scale. Here are the materials you need. These are the specifications for the materials. Here are diagrams and instru written instructions on how to build this thing, and here's what the product should look like at the end. Um, so, um, so he's like, you know, you should you can write quilt patterns. That'd be like not so bad, and it'd be um, it would make sense for you to be able to sell those over and over again. Mm. Um, and so I was like, okay, yeah, I'll give it a try. And so I had to go find my audience, right? Who are these people going to be that were going to buy this product? Um, so I joined um, the Maritime Modern Quilt Guild. So that would be the, the local chapter of the big modern, international modern quilt guild. Mm. Um, so they meet here in Halifax. And I met all these amazing people who were really into quilting. Like it's a whole subculture mm. unto its own. Um, and they were these wonderful people who... Um, really just are passionate about spending their time, their, their, their downtime, their leisure time making quilts and talking about quilts and quilting with other quilters. And, wow. uh, yeah, so there's this whole thing I didn't know about. Mm. Um, so then I found this audience of people and I kind of wanted to know what made them tick, but also how that lined up with what made me tick. Mm. And I delved into making these large scale jewels, um, that were a bit tricky, um, but doable. And I could disseminate that information or write it down in a cohesive way for them to, to make. That was, um, yeah, that was the beginning of 2016. Wow. Yeah. So do you like you sewing machines mm -hmm. or are there special machines for quilting? Uh, it could be, yeah, I, I use a uh, regular sewing machine, a domestic machine. I mean, it's semi-industrial, but it's a domestic machine. It's not a, you know, bathed in oil or industrial in any um, real way. Mm -hmm. um, you don't need any real specialized tools to do it. Um, you can get fancy about it once you get into it. You can buy $10,000 machines if you want to. <laughs> yeah. Or wow. $20,000, $30,000 machines. And those are kind of the big, big 10-foot machines where you can quilt, you know, like a king-size quilt um, together. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It's like, it's, it's some technology to have this. So, wait. Yeah. Here's the thing, though. 
is it all hand like do you move the thing by your do you move the quilts by your hand yes. when you when i do it at home yes i do i can hire out to somebody who has one of those big 10 foot machines to do it computerized yeah but i do mostly i do my own work uh what? but guided by my own hands yeah uh so like <clears throat> you have to keep doing them in sections right like this yeah and you well the thing about uh textiles is that they're they're pliable so you can shove it through a little like machine <laughs> it takes it takes it's quite physical it can be quite physical sometimes <laughs> uh, depending how cool you know these ones are small um but depending how big it is yeah. um you can't you can wrestle it through oh my gosh because yeah. i'm looking at these patterns i'm thinking okay so there's a circle there's a line there's like a crooked line and yeah how do you and you do all that by hand yeah but so because i'm lazy okay let me think of the lazy side with the computer one do you just type in the pattern and then just run it through or um this gold gold part would you could you could um but i drew the line i traced it with the like through my machine mm. um these ones putting these little pieces together you can't necessarily it's hard to do patchwork with a machine there are special die cuts and like special machinery where you can you can probably yeah you could input the um the the shapes yeah um but you have to design those shapes first yeah that's and the then, thing uh, yeah so, so like with this guy mm -hmm. um each of those shapes is one thing like do you make one shape and then keep it and then add it to get or what yeah. happens there so these particular ones the right and left ones are uh it's a technique called foundation paper piecing so i have a paper template and i sew the fabric right to the template and then i cut around it it's a certain way of uh, getting all those weird shapes because these are not they're not um, 90 degree angles yeah. or 45 degree angles anything that's kind of measurable so um having that the piece of paper as your template mm. um it's it's kind of like paint by number. It's it's kind of hard. It's hard to explain in this context, but uh, it's a bit like paint by number. Mm. Once I have it all set up in the template. Holy mm. smokes! Yeah. So how long would it take to make one of this? Um, for me, who has like a fair amount of experience, mm. um, three to four hours. Mm. Yeah, for somebody who you know is kind of new to it. Yeah. I would say at least three or four times more. <laughs> than that. Um, I'm guessing yeah. the most difficult part is getting the pattern together. Yeah. 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 And then yeah, so it, it, it is time consuming, but it's very it's it's quite enjoyable. I think um, I was listening to a, a kids podcast with my kids about science and how um, in video game when you play video games, the the pleasure of the video game is that you get to zone out in certain ways, mm. and then you can. Um, and that's where the the stress relief comes from. With quilting, you can do the same. You can have this zone out, um, you know, place uh, where you're you're producing, mm. um, but it's very stress relieving in this kind of zen, zen maybe probably. Yeah, it's yeah. Um, uh, so I think it's it's weird how quilting can be like video games, but <laughs> it's stress relieving. A lot of people um, really you know find this hobby to be really rewarding because. Uh, of that component of it mm, you know that mm. you have these people who have probably very stress can be very stressful stressful um day jobs i knew a forensic scientist for one like once and she she really found quilting to be a place where she could just leave everything mm. that was part of that job and could just kind of zone out and relieve the stress of her day job there so yeah. now if you're doing the quilts design pattern mm -hmm. 
pattern design, quilt pattern design thing. Mm-hmm. What was the process of making this? Do you make it yourself and then you break it down into sections or? I design it on the computer first um, and then break it up. I, ideally, I, I write the instructions first before I make the first one. These ones were more kind of art pieces. They're more complicated than I would have somebody else do, mm. uh, a quilter do. Um, but if I were to design a pattern for a quilter, um, I would design it on the computer first, have everything set up so that um, the first time I make it is kind of like the first time they would make it. Mm. Uh, so that's way the way I kind of test the product to make sure it it works well and the instructions are clear and I don't run into any hiccups. I also have a set of people who also do the testing as well, mm. so that they so that there's no they're basically editing um, what I've put out so that. Um, I'm designing for people without being there, right? I, I want them to be able to make it without me guiding them through it. Mm. Um, so that's the kind of the idea is that you're setting up these testers and my own, myself being one of them mm. in this kind of situation that would be akin to what a, a person who bought the pattern would would um, would encounter. Mm. Um, they have a list of materials, they gather them, and they make it. And if they run into any hiccups, my testers will tell me, mm. um, and then I fix it before I put it out into the world. True. Yeah. So now let's rewind a yeah. little bit, going to how you even come up with the parts and before you start with the design before I even start the whole thing. Okay. Yeah. Sure. So these ones were, you know, um, I think geometric art has been popular in the last. I don't know, five years, let's say. Um, <clears throat> and the idea of making really hard stones in like a soft fabric was really interesting to me. And blowing such something that's very small into something that's larger was also interesting to me. So those two contrasts kind of drew me to that um, aesthetic. And also the geometry of it, um, the way these are designed is how a gemologist would actually cut the top facet the top of a gemstone as well as the bottom and they're superimposed on each other and then those that's where i get the shapes from oh wow yeah so it's a bit architectural in that i take drawings of of uh gemology designs and i superimpose them and then uh, make these facets out of them um yeah so these ones are quite large they're um this one this whole I called them posters at the beginning because they're quite graphic um, in nature. And so um, it's like 25 inches by 20, 25 inches. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So now you go to the Modern Quilting Guild, mm-hmm. the local chapter. I meet all these amazing people. When did you decide, okay, you know, this is viable? And yeah. how did you even introduce it to them? Cause... Yeah. Because I... They probably knew more than they still know more than I do. A lot of them, they've been doing it for so many years. Mm. Um, yeah, um, this particular set was actually where I started this gem gemology set, uh, is where I started because uh, one of the ladies in the in the guild wanted to apply to this Halifax Crafters show as a collective to show people what modern quilting was. Mm. And um, at that point, I was like, Oh, yeah, I, I can uh, help apply for this and and come up with um you know, something to apply with. So I came up with the gemstones and then I realized I had a cohesive collection of, of items that I could be on my own with. So um, when I applied on my own, I got in and then started this third story workshop thing. And it's kind of taken all these, take, taken on so many different things since I started that, started from that point. Mm. But at that first show, I really realized how um, little people knew about quilting Right. Yeah. Um, but you, we all have an idea of what it is. Like we all have an idea of what it is, mm. and 
generally what it looks like is, um, you know, elderly women sitting together around a frame having a quilting bee. And they're like stitching something by hand together mm. on the same thing. I don't know. Is that what you imagine when you think of quilting? Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, like it, it's, it, it is that, but it's not that. <laughs> <laughs> that whole community aspect that's totally relevant and true today yeah. it just looks a little bit different because different because we have social media a lot of quilters kind of um congregate around social media especially instagram mm. um especially in the modern side of things mm. um so and then we do we work together all across the world to make quilts together by just like hey you know there's this charity organization that needs them or you know um when there was a mosque shooting in quebec city a couple oh, years yeah, back, yeah, yeah. Um, a Montreal chapter uh, put to get put a call out to the Canadian guilds or even all all guilds around the world. Like we're putting these quilts together for the victims of that um, tragedy, and so you know, like thousands of quilters just banded together and we made forty nine quilts um, mm. for these people uh, in suffering in Quebec City, um, and um, so it it is that. Right, it is those those people around a frame working together, but it just looks very different now. The colors are different. We have technology that's different, um, or you know, we have skill sets that are different, interests that are different. So, um, it's modernized. It's changed. The mm. modern quilting movement is different. So when I, you know, when I was interfacing with the public about this, they were like, "What? These are quilts? Like I never knew that quilting could look like this." Mm. It became part of my mission as an artist to let people know what quilting is and what it what it can be um, versus what they think it is. Yeah. So that's kind of a, a thread that's been constant throughout this whole journey since mm -hmm. 2016. Um, I continue to talk about that. And um, yeah, we can talk about maybe uh, the residency I had at Pier 21 two years ago. Um, that was specifically one of the things I wanted to do was to be in a public setting, um, be able to create a modern quilt with uh, visitors from that museum at that museum. Mm. Um, and then also to be able to talk to them about what modern quilting is. Mm. Um, so this particular um, quilt uh, project was a part of a residency there. I was at the museum a couple days a week and I was making, um, they weren't sewing anything. People were, um, choosing some fabrics and ironing them together uh, with a fusible kind of material and they would talk to me about their their family's uh, immigration story so whether that was a French Canadian whose ancestors came 300 years ago oh. or somebody who whose grandmother came in the in the second world war um, things like stories like that um, I would collect the stories and collect their block that they made we call the little units blocks and I made it into a 10 foot by 10 foot quilts <clears throat> How long was this residency? It was four. I I took blocks for four months, so a couple days a week. So I get probably sixty blocks a week. Um, yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. So it actually, so the end the end result was twelve hundred blocks um, that I sewed together, um, and it was a really really rewarding experience as an artist mm. to be able to work with people. Um, really drawing out their stories and really being a facilitator of their experience at that museum, mm. um, which I'm, you know, in my former life, I, I worked in museums as well. So um, it was neat to wrap it all up in that project. And um, yeah. What did you call your project? That was called the Here and Elsewhere Bee. So, uh, you know, a bee alluding to those, those women around a frame uh, and also how bees work today. Um, but also knowing that people are very rooted here or they're com 
every almost um a, a majority of people in Canada come from somewhere else. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. So that was why it's called the here and elsewhere be. Mm. Mm-hmm. So now you do the Halifax craft that things are part of the guild. When did you decide to actually like your whole workshops? Yeah. So yeah. when did you decide I'm going? You you decide you're going to do it, but then how did you put it into like how did you bring it to life? Okay, I did not decide that I wanted to do workshops necessarily. I yeah. I do enjoy teaching. It's it's a really really great way for me to connect with people. Mm. Um. Um, there was a new shop around the same time that I started quilting more seriously, uh, Patch Halifax. So that's on Roby Street. So this independent fabric store. Um, and so they asked if I would teach some classes there. Um, and so I started there. So I started locally. And um, the way I teach now is also I travel to teach. So um, because quilters, there's only so many of them in Halifax, right? <laughs> there's a... Um, there's, you know, there's a limit to how many I can teach necessarily. There's other great teachers in town too. Mm. Um, but the Pier 21 quilts went to a show in Pasadena, California oh, wow. um, in 2018. And it won, a, it won an award there. And so other guilds in the Modern Quilt, other chap- chapters of the Modern Quilt Guild got to see that quilt, um, hear the story of it, and wanted me to come speak to their their groups about it so um in the last few months and moving forward i'm teaching at in various places so last month or this past month i was in um kind of southwestern ontario um next month i'll be in ottawa um i've been in montreal and toronto and then um yeah next year i'll be teaching a web a webinar actually to a, a guild in california oh nice yeah so you know and yeah so there's lots of different ways that this kind of community has brand has has a network of, of people that are very interested in this kind of work mm. mm-hmm. and the book let's talk about the book yeah so um these uh were first artworks that i had created in 2016 for sale right mm. like as an artist here's my work i would like you to buy it <laughs> buy it right <laughs> right um well however naive that is whatever it's fine <laughs> um <laughs> So, um, but the, you know, I would have people be like, oh, do you have a pattern for this? So then I started actually delving into the pattern writing and things like that. And I had four small patterns that I independently sold on like Etsy. Um, and, uh, a publisher approached me last spring and and said like, are you interested in writing a book? And I was like, what about, I don't, maybe. (laughs) And, and they were like, well, you know, gemstones and quilting are trending. And I was like, what? <laughs> How do you know about these cool thing trends? Well, they have, you know, they have like, um, you know, uh, industry shows, right? So there's, yeah. they, they know what's going on. So I was like, oh, okay. Um, sure. Um, sure, I'll write a book. <laughs> um, it was quite a process. And it was a, a faster one than a usual book project would take. Mm. Um, but, you know, I think I had a good idea of what I got myself into and I knew it was going to be fast. Mm. Um, so I signed a contract last June and handed everything, my part in, uh, in November. Uh, and then that's a super quick turnaround. (laughs) It is. Did did you have time to do any of these things while you were doing the book or was it just all the book? No, it was pretty much all the book. Yeah. I was wrapping another crowdfunding project, which we can or cannot, it doesn't matter if we talk about it, but Mm. uh, I had another big project on my own that I was working on, but, um, uh, it was mostly the book for that period of time as well as, you know, like having a life like, you know, 
kids yeah. and all that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, but, um, yeah, so that's, you know, the kind of that cycle that I was talking um, to you earlier about um, was that, you know, I had these artistic works that I was putting out and then, you know, it had it, it gained sort of a momentum of people wanting to learn about it and then which became teaching, which is now a book, you know. Mm. So, you know, the book will be out in the next couple months and um And he's ready for yeah. pre order now, you said? Yeah, it's ready for pre order on Amazon and uh on Chapters website. So um the book is called Patrick Lab Gemology. Um and so yeah. Was that, did you come up with the name or um, not a little bit. Gemology was the the term I used for this uh, collection of works. Um, but there are certain ways that the publisher knows how it's going to perform on SEO with somebody searching for gemstone quilting or things like that. There mm. are, you know, parameters, yeah. marketing parameters around <laughs> the title of a book. So, which is fine. I wasn't really married to anything. And I want it to be accessible. The point of having a book like this is to make it accessible. Yeah. So people can find it yeah, yeah, and use yeah. it. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, and it's their job to kind of know how to get the books to the people that need the book. Yeah. So, you know, part of, of getting a book deal, I guess, is is having an audience of your own. So I've started to build, I bar- started building an audience in 2016 when I had that first show, Halifax Crafters show. Um, and, um, you know, a publisher does look at what your numbers are, unfortunately. <laughs> like, like you're, <laughs> Your work can be amazing. Yeah. Like an artist's work can be amazing, yeah. but if you know, you, there's a part that an artist has to play in the marketing. Yeah. Um, for it to be a viable project for a publisher to take on. And talking about your following, how did you grow it? Because you have like super great following. Um. And not just the numbers; they are engaged too. Yes, they are very engaged. Um, that's the matter of like hash a lot of like relevant hashtags. Mm. Um, having other people in my industry share my work. Um, but it's, it's not, there's nothing fast about it. There's nothing fast about it. Um, you know, some people you think like skyrocket from like zero to a 10,000 followers in the matter of like months, but you know, it's taken me three, three and a half years to build. Um, and really, I think the backbone of my work is I have these core missions that I want to want to disseminate into the world. So one Mm. of them is people knowing about modern quilting. The second is um, really pushing people in their creative journeys and having them see themselves as creatives or mm. artists or or whatever that may be. It might be the step of like, I can see myself as a creative because I cook creative meals. Or it could be um, a, somebody who's really into quilting and wants to just bring their work to the next level. Mm. Um, so there's, you know, kind of these steps that we take to be, uh, to understand ourselves as people. Um, so I really want to be able to... Um, push people not not push encourage people (laughs) encourage encourage people to to embrace their creative selves because i think at the core of it like we are all creative beings yeah um whether that is a spreadsheet as the like like an accountant makes which is like ball goes my mind how creative that can be um or it is literally an artist being being a creative um business person or even the business side being creative work um so that's the second facet and then the third facet of my mission um is is to see domestic arts what has traditionally been done for for hundreds of years, mostly often by women, mostly by women, um, for free or for fun, become real art to elevate domestic art to the level of photography or painting or mm. yeah, okay, or media arts. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, and do you feel? How do you feel about you know the journey I'm taking towards achieving this three missions? 
Um, I'm starting to realize that, you know, in the three years that I've been doing this, what, like, how much I need to focus on the long game, Mm. especially when you get wrapped up in social media, you can, you're like, you're like operating from post to post or week to week or whatever. Mm. But really, I need to think in years. Um, If I'm going to have a sustained practice for hopefully a decade, decade, two decades um, or more, um, I really got to, I have to really focus on my long game. So that being able to think like um, if I want to do an exhibition in two years that I have to start thinking about that now Mm. or in finding, you know, um, a venue and funding and all of that stuff, kind of being able to um, work in that kind of timeline versus in what looks like very, very fast. Well, like what for some artists, it seems really fast that they've like, you know, exploded onto the scene and they've, you know, in a three short, in like whatever short months or years, they've, you know, made an international splash or like, you know, that kind of mindset versus just being like, I'm putting my, my time in and it's, yeah. Great. Wow. Uh, um, I- one thing actually that just came to mind, you do all these things, but you're also a wife and a mom. How do you make it all, how do you handle your time? My time? Yeah. Ah, that's a good question. Sometimes not well, but mm. um, prioritizing um, rest is a lesson that I'm trying to learn. Mm. Um, you know, we, th- we think a lot Another image. Okay, so when you think of an artist, <laughs> when somebody says, "Oh, like, oh, you know, I'm an artist," and they, what image comes to their head is something like toiling in the middle of the night and just like working through ideas and just like their hair is all like, yeah. right? And you know, <laughs> um, and that's kind of you know, it's it's an impossible reality for me. Like mm. I can't be up in the middle of the night if I want to be available to the people that I care about emotionally physically present um and mentally present for them Mm. is that I have to actually sleep at night so Mm. um it's it's a part of being very disciplined um and I'm not that great at it sometimes but um I try to be um and um also having a supportive spouse Mm. um partner and you know he's has his own work to do (laughs) But, you know, both of our work is important to us and both important to each other. So, you know, there are times when, you know, he's going to be the one that's working a lot of hours. And then there's sometimes I'm going to be away for stretches of time teaching um, and just being able to balance that and give and take. And and also say, like, you know, I can't compare myself to a 22 year old who has, you know, like all the the time. time. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, they could stay up till 2 a.m. Yeah. And the consequence for them the next day would not be as dire. Right. Mm. They have to feed themselves, clothe clothe themselves, get themselves to work maybe. And I'm not saying that that's easy. Yeah. But like, it's different. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't, I can't work at the pace that a 22 year old would Mm. necessarily. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. Uh, okay, I'm gonna end it with this question, Andrea. What's next? What's next? Mm. Um, yeah, so um, I'm looking to do a little bit more deep artistic work, and that that sounds like, <laughs> uh. <laughs> but you know, I you know, in the past couple of years, I've worked really um to help other quilters become you know, better quilters or advance their skills. And so I think I need to go back into a cycle of creating my own work. Um, So um, next uh, in in August, I'll be going to New Brunswick for a residency there at the 
Living History Museum there, the King's Landing, which is through... Oh, um, King's Landing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you watch Game of Thrones? No. Oh, well, so that's the name of a place from the film. That's why I'm like, okay. ah, King's... Anyway. <laughs> well, I can pretend it's that. <laughs> uh, it's through the New Brunswick College of Craft and Design. Okay. Uh, so I'll be um, there for a week with um, a collaborator, collaborator that I've worked with before, mm. Alyssa Kluwit of um, Keep House Studios. Um, she's a surface pattern designer, screen printer, and uh, we'll be working together. She's going to be doing natural dyeing, and we'll be doing that together. And then we're going to be doing some patchwork, like quilting work um, together as well. Um, I'm really looking forward to just spending time without distractions just to, like, Mm. create. Mm. Um, And, yeah, I'm looking to do a a few more things like that in the, the next few months. Awesome. So hopefully I'd like to have you back. Maybe then we'll have a copy of the book. Uh, maybe yeah. then you're working on a new book. <laughs> Can't I, Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming in today, Andrea. Thanks. This is the Blackout Podcast. listening.